Hello, Deuce fam. If you have any familiarity with the Deuce Breath and Exposure Program, you know that we do breath work there. We have ice baths and we have a sauna. And we do all different variations of that. That being said, when you think of exposure, generally you might think of ice cubes, freezing cold water, or heat, a sauna. Uh, but really, if we kind of expand on that word, exposure is so much more. Exposure is anything that we subject ourselves to, to drive adaptation, intentionally or unintentionally. And so our next guest, this is now episode 14 of this podcast, Sarah Williams is quite a Jedi when it comes to exposure out in nature. And one thing that my biggest role model, Gabby Reese, told me that has always stuck with me is when you honor yourself first, you always win. Sarah Williams, let me tell you, embodies that. Uh, And I say that as she knows how to fill her cup and she is so in service of sharing that with others. And so I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. I know that you will. As always, I invite you to share this with friends, like, subscribe, you know, the whole shebang. So here you go, guys, episode 14, enjoy. Okay, so uh, we're at sea level right now, which is zero feet elevation. And uh, not too long ago, you were at 20,000 feet elevation just casually summiting Mount Denali after several weeks or a couple weeks um, on this adventure and around 17,000 feet, if I'm correct, at a base camp, stopping on the way down, you started noticing like shortness of breath, like something's wrong. So we're going to start this story here. You're at 17,000 feet, Mount Denali, which is, by the way, in Alaska, Okay, and insert story there. What's going on in your body? <laughs> You're like, talk about an icebreaker. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was day 18, and we had just summited Denali, which is the tallest mountain in North America. Jesus. And aside from all of the usual things that happen in your body when you're at altitude and in an environment where there's not as much oxygen in the air, mm-hmm. something else was wrong. And so I didn't know what it was, but I was trying to be vocal with my team. Like, hey, guys, I don't know what it is, but something's not right. I was moving much slower than normal. My breath was much shorter, but something else, like a je ne sais quoi, was wrong with my body. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what it was. It's a great word. And so we, we started to ascend. To, we started to descend quickly to our base camp because at that point it was already like a 12-hour day. And so we're like, we need to get down for multiple reasons, just to get out of this environment and then to get to our shelter, which mm-hmm. is really just fabric. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. And so we get back to our base camp around midnight. And the one cool thing about Alaska in the summer is that it's always light. So it's never dark. Okay. And so there's actually this really beautiful golden light. And You're like, I'm dying right but now. But something that was is very, heaven. very wrong. So this is... 12 hours after summiting. Okay. Okay. And I get to my tent and I just, I can't even life. I can, I could barely even move. 
I can't even take my crampons off. I can't take my harness off. Um, there was someone from a different team who saw me struggling and came over and was like, do you need help taking your crampons off? And I was just like, yes. And so I was extremely dehydrated. I could barely even swallow. And then I just, breathing was just ex extremely difficult and movement was next to nothing. And so he helped me take my crampons off and I started to shovel snow to start the process of melting to create water, which is about an hour long process at that altitude. And it must have been the saddest show anybody had ever seen, like looking at this poor person just like trying to like shovel snow. Or or context, like <laughs> this is LA. Everyone's like, oh, Los Leones, let's go hike that anthill. You're at 17,000 feet. Okay. Yes. Okay. And so my partner on the expedition was helping me. And so he was also in a bad way with a really bad headache. But I knew that, I don't know, I was just progressing in this weird way just into, I don't know, into something. And so... I got in the tent and he took over the water boiling duties and I was able to just lay there, but I couldn't take anything off. I got my crampons off just so I can get in the tent, but other than that, I just like I had five layers of jackets on, you know, it's negative 20 out and I'm just laying there. <laughs> and then um, my lungs start to fill with fluid. Slowly, what does that feel like? Slowly. It's, <sighs> I got a glimpse of what I imagine drowning feels like. And it was very panic inducing. Mm -hmm. And the thing too is that my lung capacity was shrinking. My ability to take in air and oxygen was shrinking in an environment where there's already 50% lack of oxygen in the air. Because there's fluid filling up in your lungs. Yes. And every single, like even being at that altitude and perfect health is still difficult. And even someone who has the greatest aerobic capacity is still tired, mm -hmm. still feeling that shortness of breath. And every single movement and it sounds so silly but if you go to zip up your sleeping bag you're out of breath it's just that difficult in that environment yeah and so adding in what i was feeling what mixed with that was so difficult you know like i could tell like something was going on in my lungs and then i would go to cough or if i breathe deeply at all then i could feel the liquid in the lungs and then i would cough part of it up and so i had to just get very still and every movement made me out of breath and so like I'd start to pan I'd start to panic and I think everyone listening right now is probably like I can't breathe <laughs> oh my god Sarah first of all Sarah's sitting with me and we're recording this conversation right now so Sarah made it but like okay keep going <laughs> just take a breath if you're if you're starting to feel a lack of breath right now for anyone listening because this is, this is gnarly yeah and so at the, by that point my partner was able to give me a little bit of water but it, I couldn't even drink it I would, I would drink a little bit of water, but then it just, it felt like it wouldn't go anywhere. It just caused me to cough and to feel that choking sensation. And it just was getting worse and worse and worse very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And so there was not much I could do. I had to just sit there and really think about how to just make this situation better. Yeah. So you had this awareness of like, uh, what can I do? Because the thing is, is like I'm on the third most isolated mountain in the entire world. Like, there's no help. I mean, there's people around me, and there's the resources that I brought, which essentially is just my mind and a few pieces of gear. Mm -hmm. And how do I help what I'm experiencing right now? Amidst, um, like, what? How could you not be panicking? You had the wherewithal to be like, okay, but like, what do I need to do? What can I do? Exactly. And what was that? And so. The only thing I could think of was just to create a low stress environment in my body, 
which is very difficult to do considering all of the factors that were going on around me. Yeah. Not only the physical exhaustion, but like the temperature and the wind was kicking up and there's a lot of chaos going on around and inside of me. And so I just had to get extremely calm. And how did you get there? So I got there through my breath and I tried to breathe as softly and quietly as possible Mm -hmm. to calm my state. And also, meanwhile, it's negative 20 out, it's freezing. (laughs) And the only thing separating me and that environment is a thin sheet of nylon fabric. And what you're experiencing is like a real severe medical condition called HAPE, am I correct? HAPE, and so... And that stands for? High pulmonary, um, high altitude pulmonary edema. And I didn't know that at first, you know, I just realized something was happening. And one thing that I always do before I leave for any adventure that I go on is I bring a journal with information that I put in there that's custom tailored to whatever it is that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Because I don't have Google. I don't have my phone. I don't have any ability to contact someone who's more intelligent than I am in the medical field. And so I made a list of all the possible things that could happen to someone's body in the high altitude environments and what, how to spot them and then how to treat them. And this was on that list. And so it was the very last one because it was the one that was the most severe. Oh. <laughs> and That'd be a great like cliffhanger for a movie because it was the one that was most severe. Oh, yeah. my and gosh. It, it's honestly the one that I kind of skimped over in a way because I was like, okay, that's serious. That's never going to happen to me. But I'll write it down anyways because mm-hmm. that's just what I do. Well, that's what you do because this was a mission that you went on. Yeah. So... Okay, by now, the audience is sweating. We're a little over, I'm sweating. We're a little over eight minutes in. Thank you for like reliving that for a second. We're gonna come back to that story. Um, By the way, guys, this is Sarah Williams, modern day Renaissance woman and mountaineer. And uh, I think think we wanna talk about today or what I wanna share with the community is first of all, who you are, which it's like great intro. Hey, just me casually, you know, the top of Denali with a serious medical condition, overriding that with your breath, you know, how resourceful you are and have been using just your mind and very basic things, um, out in the most extreme, extreme environments, but also just like introducing you to the community. Like, Hey, in case you didn't know Sarah, breath and exposure, uh, my baby, (laughs) is uh is growing and sarah's a huge part of that so think of her as the the luke skywalker the jedi coming (laughs) in right now uh that's gonna knock out myself darth vader pretty soon no i'm kidding um but i want to talk about your relationship with nature and how when we talk about breath and exposure we're saying we're adding to this um landscape of what we consider to be useful general fitness right and so like it's more than just strength and conditioning you know it's more than just nutrition or hydration or even like just breathing or ice baths and heat but also this intersection with nature as a necessary exposure and so i want you to rewind before i keep spiraling off here talk about the first time you were out in nature and i don't know if it was a mountain or a park or maybe it was just grass whatever your first uh, memory of being in nature and having the awareness that this connection was special or 
useful or something important in your life? Do you have a memory like that? Um, I would say three come to mind almost simultaneously. Yeah. And they all speak to the same theme. The first one, I was with my family. We used to go to this place called Sand Canyon, which is near Kennedy Meadows in Southern California. And we'd go as a family, but we would all independently be exploring this area, but together. And so, like, my brother would be swinging off of a rope into a pond. My mom would be, like, looking for rocks because she's into geology. Mm -hmm. My dad, I don't know what he was doing, but he was somewhere doing something. And I just remember thinking at that moment, you know, life is different than... And at this point, I'm, like, five years old. And so it's very, very young. And so it just was so amazing to me to see something that was, quote, unquote, like, so different than my life in my house Mm -hmm. and in my backyard, which is pretty much the only areas that I would explore. And so... At that point, I was living in the desert, and so even the drive up to this place in the forest was always so exquisite. It was, you know, I would just be, like, looking at nothing, because that's what I saw as a kid. I would just look at the desert, and I would see nothing. I didn't see the beauty of the desert at the time. I was just like, man, it's hot. There's, like, a broken down cars, the mm-hmm. rusting away. Like, what is this? And then to see the transition of the heat and the, the nothingness to, like, the abundance and the, the humidity of the forest was just magical. I was like, what is this? Mm-hmm. And so, and then being able to go independently, be together with my family in that environment was somehow very special to me at a young age. Yeah. And And that they gave you the space to experience it independently. Like it wasn't imposed on you. Like Sarah, we're out in nature. It sounds like you were just like given the space to make that connection yourself. Absolutely. And two other experiences. What were those? And then so I, from there, I lived in Las Vegas for most of my adolescence. And so Las Vegas, you think of the strip, you think of gambling and drinking and partying. Um, But being a local there, there is an area 15 minutes outside of Las Vegas called Red Rock Canyon, which as I know now houses world-class rock climbing and canyoneering and is actually one of the most outdoorsy places, like in terms of the multiple high level activities that was just right outside my door. And my dad used to take me scrambling, um, which is like a mix between hiking and rock climbing, but somewhere in the middle, something that utilizes your hands, but you don't need ropes. Okay. And so we would do that, you know, once, once a month. And my dad definitely suffered from depression, but when we were out there together, I could see a light in him. And he would always talk about how he just needed it so much. He had to get away from like everything and just be out there and how that was his therapy. And so even though I wasn't experiencing those complex emotions at the time, I was extremely observant and receiving of them in him. Yeah. And so that was also very powerful to see that, to see how something as simple as just taking a half of an afternoon away to be in nature, like really affected him positively yes and And a profound impact absolutely and just because i saw that shift in him i took that so much to heart and then and then i moved away from las vegas for a while and i at that point i still wasn't as into nature quote unquote but it just it set a stage Mm -hmm. and then the third experience was i was i didn't really take many vacations with my family um so i went to living in las vegas went to laguna beach with my friend's family and it was, I was in middle school and it was in the heat of our elections, you know, and yeah. there's a lot of drama at school and, you know, who's going to be the president. And I think I was the head of the student council at the time. So I was like really like, you know, on it in terms of like advertising and like getting everybody involved. But then I took time away during the most pivotal moment 
to just go do nothing with this family on the beach. Ah. And so I woke up before the family and I was sitting on the beach and it was overcast, that really beautiful marine layer. And I hadn't really ever been to the ocean before. And I just remember feeling this like really crazy, beautiful connection to something greater than me and how even though my life at home was very encompassing at the moment, mm-hmm. right? It was, I was so involved and I couldn't step away, couldn't step away. Yeah. And then I stepped away and then I felt such relief. I was like, all of that back home, it's kind of like, it's cool and all, but you know, it's just, what am I getting myself worked up with? Like, what am I going to remember about that years from now? I'm not, like, it's not going to be important. Like, I already feel like it's not important and it was the most important thing to me a day ago. And wow. so there was the just like- the comparison in those perspectives that you- you gained access to you brought awareness to at a young age of like you know this knowingness even when it feels like my life is so jam-packed and there's nothing I could possibly add to this almost like a coming home is going out in nature yeah that maybe you've carried with you to this day totally and the thing was is that even though I had those awarenesses at the time they didn't really sink in I was like okay that's interesting it was like an observation that I kept yeah that looking back now made a profound impact but i wouldn't have said that at the time so when do you think or maybe it's not a specific instance but when did that shift from an awareness and observation into unintentional commitment and like application to integrate this into your life regularly yeah for you and then i want to talk about how that developed into offering those opportunities for other people as well an adventure fit that you do absolutely it wasn't until after college you know I went through college I went to art school and got a degree in photography Um, and at the time I had no idea what I wanted to photograph I was just always drawn to photography as a medium I spent most of my adolescence like photographing silly things like a balloon on the ground or <laughs> like the way that uh, light comes through a stained glass window. I would just so always So would you notice. say you've always been drawn to like visual? Yeah, absolutely. Visuals, but then also like moments of what I can describe now is like moments of stillness, moments of beauty, mm-hmm. moments that are fleeting, ephemeral. Um, Speak my language. Yeah. <laughs> flow, flow state. It's like as soon as you're aware, it's over. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, you can gain access to these subliminal moments that happen organically but there are ways to step towards them and heighten the opportunity to experience them from a very rational standpoint absolutely but then I had this insatiable desire to capture it because I recognized the fact that it was so fleeting but then I was like I don't want it to be fleeting I want to capture it forever I want to hold on to it yes and and so that's where my love of photography really came into play with those moments but then also it's, it works both ways because, you know, viewing the world through the eyes of being a photographer, like I'm constantly visually looking, but at the same time, it's everything, it's, it's very much so inspired by how I feel. So would you say when you take photos, you're, I'm putting words in your mouth, but I, um, I'm curious, the primary lens that you take photos with then, is it to capture those moments from your eyes or are you trying to show people like what do you think about when you're taking a photo do you think oh my gosh I want to show this to other people or do you think it's not either or but like uh is your thought oh my god I'm just experiencing this moment right now witnessing this and that's the primary driver and what I'm going to capture 
it came from this desire to want to share, to realize that I have a very unique perspective as we all as individuals do. And I think our primary goal in life is to figure out how to translate that into whatever medium that it is. Yes. And so for me, I found that in photography and I mean, I mean, it's so many things, you know, it's like, I recognize this moment. Like, does anybody else see this? Does yeah. anybody else see this? But then also like sometimes like not everybody slows down to recognize what is happening. Yeah. And so if you're the person that does that, if you can show somebody else's emotion, like if you can, you have to be vulnerable and then you have to be like, you have to be able to house a space that somebody else can feel that vulnerability and show themselves to you mm-hmm. for then you to be able to capture, to share and not to, what word am I looking for? Not to like put them on display, like put them on blast, but just like welcome other people into the beauty of that particular moment. Because, Expose them to it yes. without interfering with Welcome it. them into it in a yeah. way, you know, because what is life without these beautiful moments, these beautiful, difficult moments? Like it doesn't just have to be, you know, a beautiful person on a beach. Like it's like these really difficult moments you know it's like one of my favorite photographs I've ever taken in life was when my father was dying of cancer and I took a photo of his hands like on his last day and like to be able to to be in that moment to have the wherewithal to be able to capture this very fleeting moment that not anybody else can step into but anybody who sees it feels something yes and that's kind of like where it's at for me wow um, but how does that tie into nature and how does it tie into all of that? I mean, it, it's, it's all connected. Yes. Everything is connected. Absolutely. And so go, went to photography school, loved photography, had no idea what I wanted to do with it professionally. Um, happenstance, moved to L.A. My brother lived here, had a friend who was subletting and I was like, perfect. So I'll come to L.A. Why not? Yeah. And it's interesting enough where it's like I moved to a big city and it's somehow here where I discovered nature. Truly. Um, I went to school in Georgia and which is, which is cool. <laughs> I went, I was uh, born in Georgia. Uh, Savannah. Yes, exactly. I was born in Marietta. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> Georgia peaches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're West coast now. Okay. Yes. So you're in LA and I had a lot of healing that I needed to do on myself from just various situations of the past. And yeah. it's like everybody's journey to healing looks different. And so I was just really trying to discover what mine was and in the back of my head, like I always had that example of my father finding peace in his nature. His nature was a red rock, but everybody's nature is different. Mm-hmm. Everybody's drawn to an environment more than others. Like some people love the desert, some people love the forest, the ocean. Like I don't care what environment it is. Every human has an environment that is most that that holds them. And what would you say if you had to define nature? Like what is nature? What makes it different or the same from maybe? your everyday home life nature can be defined in a in a multitude of ways because i believe that you can find nature walking in the city street i think it's just an awareness to something that's a little bit more natural to the earth than it is to something that's made by the human hands yeah and so that could be like you walking down the street and seeing a flower and forgetting everything else around you and just focusing on that flower for a hot second you know this is true because I take pictures of <laughs> roses and grass all the time. Or yeah. it could yeah. be climbing to the top of a mountain that is the highest in the entire continent. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's it takes many different forms. And I think that it's easy to forget that, you know, people who are at home a lot, you're like, oh, I can't get out. I can't do this. And it's it's not necessarily like, yes, if you can do it, great. But there's opportunity all around you. I think that's a really great point to make, though, um, because it. It can be easy, I think, 
the more you go out, even hiking, right? Of like, how high was the hike? Or like, how long was the hike? Like almost this um, comparative nature about, comparative nature about nature. As if like something taller or bigger or longer yeah. is better. And have you experienced maybe, you know, I'm just drawing a, a parallel to the ice here where now we know, right, that like longer isn't better or more ice isn't better. It's just all contextual. So if you were to kind of communicate with people this appreciation for nature in any capacity, you know, how would you kind of guide them into noticing it more and not getting caught up in better, worse, bigger, smaller. I mean, that's what's just so beautiful about it is that it, it could be all of those things and all of those things are not necessarily bad, but it's beautiful what you said about it being contextual because that's completely true. I know a lot of people in the outdoor community give, you know, athletes flack for wanting to do something the fastest or to climb the highest. And um, there's something, there is something beautiful there. You know, um, one thing that I always think about for myself is like I or the way that I describe it is like I like to connect to the land with my heartbeat. So I love, you know, like exercising in nature. And that that is the intersection of where all of that came together for me was yes. outdoor exercise. Um, but whatever is authentic to you, you know, if that's going to the park with your kids, if that's, you know, walking down the street or if it's going to the ocean and jumping in for an afternoon, you know. It's finding ways yes. that are that are manageable for you in your life and in your schedule. But it's And what the, does that offer people when they give themselves that exposure of nature, even if it's for a short time? It's this beautiful medicine that mutates. And what, what I mean by that is it gives you what you need. Mm. And what you need is different than the person next to you and the person next to them. But that's why it's so beautiful is because it somehow molds itself into creating. And so I think I love that. I think the whole reason for that is because you're essentially taking time away for even just an afternoon, an hour, five minutes away from the stresses that are imposed upon you from anything that isn't you, whether that's like a job or even things you love, like an animal or a family, but just Every single human needs time away for a little bit. Yeah. And some people find that in meditation. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, having these nature experiences is a form of meditation. And a lot of it is a moving meditation. Yeah. And we've talked about before how sometimes the movement of the meditation, walking, hiking, swimming, whatever it is, like there's finding stillness in the movement. It seems almost like a, you know, counterintuitive or like a paradox, but it's like, how interesting. Yeah. And in a way, it's almost like giving your job, giving your body a job, but then allowing your mind to wander mm. in a way that just lets you sit alone with your thoughts. And especially like when you're doing long distance hiking or walking for a long period of time, it's quote unquote boring to some people, right? You're doing the same repetitive motion, like especially if you're not in love with the environment, you're like, I'm just walking, what am I doing? But just walking. But if you just keep walking and you keep walking and you yes. walk a little bit more, something in your mind unlocks. And maybe like, especially if you start walking uphill and it's hard, maybe something painful from your past comes up. 
maybe you start thinking about you know something that's undesirable because i always find that your mind your mind matches your body and so if you're physically experiencing discomfort your brain is going to go through those all those mental things that are discomfort like as well yes so almost like you know it sounds like what you're saying is being exposing yourself to nature uh provides this great opportunity of like being it you know nature is the canvas of what do you need to work on and if you're in tune and you're really aware and you're not trying to numb yourself you have that opportunity to like grow through it like nature's always got the canvas there's always a page for you um so here's what i want to ask from there you started something called adventure fit not too long ago and you created that in order to create a space and guide others through their own experiences out in nature having had these profound experiences yourself and so what was it like starting that what was the yeah the driver behind that and what have you if you were to distill like a general a general outcome that you see you know uh or better understanding realization right from this people group of people that you've been able to to take through just up until this point with the adventure fit what is it that these experiences in nature afford them now that you're witnessing that maybe you can better articulate seeing it in so many other people it's not just your own experience absolutely it's a lot to unpack there i was like i think i just gave you (laughs) seven different prompts yes but start wherever you want absolutely well i'll finish the last story and that'll merge into this story in terms of like how i came to all of this perfect and so moved to la didn't know anybody was not in shape hated globo gyms wanted to find a way to exercise and so i just started doing local hikes and it was on one of the hikes where it was just one particular afternoon sunset that like I crested a mountain and like the sun was just so golden and beautiful. I literally started to cry. Mm-hmm. I was like, damn, this is it. Cause it was one of those days where I was just like pushing myself to like get to the top as fast as I could. And I was like, this is the exercise that I want. It's both healing and I'm actually doing something good for my body. And it's healing because somehow it was like mother nature had me. It's like this mother that's like firm and harsh and will not take any flack from you but will also cradle you when you need it. Yes, and, so well said. And um, so... From, Where was that? Uh, it was to the Hollywood sign. And it's okay. I, I, I'm like, <laughs> as I'm hearing this, just Tory Pines three years ago, bawling like a baby. Yeah. Similar experience. But isn't that amazing? Like So amazing. You know something is happening then. Yeah. And the tears wake you up to like, whoa. Yeah. And, yeah. and I was alone. And I think being alone is a big big important part because mm-hmm. when you're with other people like they're they're both there's there's pluses to both but when you're alone you are in your own company which is what is needed sometimes for that healing because when you're with somebody else you can heal together and that is also necessary to be able to like have somebody see you and you see them um but also like you very much so need to do things alone especially like to build in that fitness to like heal yourself exactly yeah and also just like i was embarrassed about where I was at with my body and physically and so I never wanted to go with people because I was like oh I'm gonna be the slow one I'm just gonna go at my own pace on my own time and then take it from there now you're dropping me at the top of Cucamonga Pico. <laughs> okay <laughs> um and then so just you know one thing led to another and just started to get more and more challenging with my hikes um and then my first overnight backpacking trip actually ended in search and rescue um and so from there i like learned everything that i possibly could about surviving in the outdoors because i was just so embarrassed about not being able to 
take care of myself and the people that I was with. Yes, and share a little bit more about the, because you shared this story with me when we were hiking Cucamonga Peak, I remember. I will not forget this, of how fired up you were to be self-sufficient after that experience. Yeah, because it was was just one of those situations where like a a friend of mine invited me to come along and I was very forthcoming. I was like, hey, I don't have any experience. I don't have any gear. I have nothing. And they're like, that's fine. We have gear. Just come along. We're totally good. And then long story short, they weren't good. They totally misrepresented themselves and their ability to navigate and to understand the environment and how to handle situations in that environment. And so one of them was slipping into shock and the other one was suffering dehydration and just couldn't be motivated at all. And I think the night before I left, I got a book on wilderness survival and, you know, being last minute, I obviously had no time to read it. So I just like flipped open the first page, read the first chapter and I'll never forget the first line. It says the one, the most important thing that you need to overcome any situation in nature is to view it as an obstacle and not the end. Like to truly know that whatever is in front of you, you can get past. You just have to have a good attitude about it and not like a false attitude, but to really believe that everything's going to be fine. And so that's the one piece of anything of information that I had going into that trip. And ironically, it's the one piece that got me out of it. And is transferable into everything else, like interpersonal conflict. Okay. It's an opportunity for growth. or even this conversation it's like are there edits no there's no imperfect conversation they're all you know organic totally and so i was able to take all of our phones and climb to like in the highest peak that i could to get rescue out of there and so a helicopter came and got us and we're all taken care of from there but even in the helicopter because i was i was fine i just had no idea how to like navigate or get myself out when they were even asking where we were i was like I don't know. I don't know the name of the forest that I'm in. I don't know anything. And so I was so embarrassed. I like went into a mild depression after that. But I was just like, never again. So I read every book that I could. I took every class that I could to learn as much as I could about surviving on my own. In, in and quote unquote failure drove you like this like rage to, to get this information. Absolutely. Which then launched you into, you know, having the the capacity to be like, oh, I want to create a thing now. Yeah. And so from there to like kind of prove to myself that I wasn't that same individual, I solo hiked the John Muir Trail, which is a 220 mile trail that goes from Yosemite Valley to the top of Mount Whitney, which is the tallest mountain in the lower U.S. Damn, Sarah. <laughs> Zero to 100 real quick. How long did that take? 18 days. And so that was a very meaningful trip for me because it was actually on that trip where I realized that I wanted to intersect self-healing photography and adventure Mm -hmm. all of those three things together and then from there kind of went off in various directions in terms of continuing the healing journey in nature and that's where i found exposure that's where i found breath work that's where i discovered mountaineering and just every other outdoor sport and activity that i've done and continue to do since then so like the desire for the next adventure kind of dictated where your training was going to go from there. Absolutely. And what's so cool is by saying, picking a destination, picking an adventure, I know that it's a learning journey. And so it's, it's not just like, okay, I have to learn how to rock climb now. It's like, okay, now I have to learn fear management. Yes. Now I have to learn this skill. And so everything was, it's, my explorations are equal parts outward exploration and inward exploration. And they are not separate. 
they're 100% the same. And so I just fell in love with the ability to explore out and in at the same exact time. Yes. Because I needed healing. I needed to, I don't know, just feel like a regular person in this world. And I found that. And then more. So much more. And that led me to so many different experiences. You know, there was a time where I was cast on a show to be in a cave underground for six days with no food or light to test my skills and my mental capacity which is a whole podcast on its own. Which is amazing. <laughs> and then from there, I also wow. walked across the entire country of New Zealand with just a backpack and a couple supplies, which took four and a half months. And that, again, I, there's just so many stories here. Yeah, you're glowing. Well, um, But then the New Zealand trip. Yeah. Being able to allow myself to step away from my life for that period of time to experience nature that deeply is what inspired me to want to share whatever I felt like I had developed with others. Because up until that point, I had felt like everything that I was doing was very selfish. I felt like, oh, I'm, you know, maybe I'm not pursuing a career at this point. I'm more or less just spending most of my time outside and working jobs to be able to afford me to have these experiences or like, yeah. oh, I'm stepping away from my family or, oh, I'm stepping away from all these things because I need, I need the healing or like, I want the experience. I want this. But when I first started my journey in New Zealand, I was like, by the end of this trip, I want to have an idea. I want something from this experience to grow. Right. And, but how could you not have gone through all these experiences individually to even get to that place where you're like, like, is this selfish? It's like, first of all, you, you were getting the experience that you needed to be able to be in a position where you felt that you could step forward exactly, and but, say, I'm ready for this. But at the time, you can't see that. For sure. It's yeah. like you don't know what you don't know. That's the name of the game with development. Exactly. Here's what I want to ask real quick, though, as, and especially as you started Adventure Fit and started inviting people into these adventures, um, how do you convince someone or persuade someone or even like open them up to the idea that it's okay to put pause on their life that feels like you can never hit pause on your work life or personal life or whatever to go out in nature and go on an adventure. Like how do you convince them that when, when it's just like never been a thing? Like I can't, I can't. So I think a lot of uh, my brain is exploding right now because there's so many different ways to go. Sorry. Um, no, but it's good. I think, in general, it's leading by example, like people who know me in my personal life. And because that's where Adventure Fit was born. I'd come back from these trips and these adventures. People would look at me and be like, Sarah, that's so crazy and amazing what you did. I could never do that. And I'm like, if you knew who I was like five years ago and the person that I was then, like, you can do it. And there's just so many, there's enough people to say, like, I could never do it. I could never do it. Where I was like, yes, you can. Let me show you how. And so that's where the desire and the, I don't know, the genesis of all that was born. But this is also where my photography comes in. It's because like, how do I convince someone? I show them. Mm. I show them pictures. I show them and I share the pictures with my words. And I, I show them a world that exists beyond the city walls. And I invite them into it. And, um, and this is such a like, special, perfect city for that. Because LA, you don't have to drive that far. No. To find the mountains, exactly. or even the ocean, like, like she's the fact right that I found there. nature living here is so crazy to me. People are like, oh, you never associate LA with nature, but first of all, the ocean is one of the best forms of nature ever. 
intimate relationship um, with the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but also like, yes, you have the forest, you have the ocean, you have the desert, you have everything save a rainforest pretty much mm-hmm. in like within within Drivable. half a day's drive and some of the most i don't know world-class insert random outdoor sport here is in california for everything and but then how do you convince somebody you you show them small moments and you slowly introduce them and so you take them you know an hour outside of the city for a half a day hike and you create an environment where they feel they can be who they are when they are not performing because like especially in our lives and especially in LA everybody's performing everyone is trying to quote unquote fake till you make it which can feel inauthentic if you're always doing it I understand there's needs for it there's a need for it but at the same time if like you're truly always chasing something that you're currently not it's hard on your system it's hard on your body because it's it's not acknowledging where you are at now it's not it's saying where you're at now is not okay and it could be driving you so far away from what your core is that isn't needing to perform. Exactly. That is enough and as so, is. Exactly. And so if you just like create a space to hold someone and you show them nature, nature does everything. Yeah. I am just a driver. I'm like the Uber driver. I'm like, here, just trust me enough to get in my car and I'll take you. And when you're there, like, I don't need to do anything. And then so it's a small spark or it's a seed. All I want to do is plant seeds. That's it. But I think that's part of what makes you special as well is that you're, you allow that space as part of the structure. It's built into, if I'm going to guide someone through this and help be a catalyst, open the door, move them through the door, just get you into nature. Exactly. But like, there's no need for like, I don't need the five-star review on Yelp. I don't need the, it's just like, that's so uh that's so important and i don't want to like skip over that um and anyone who's done you know breath and exposure office hour with you i know they've experienced that as well and what a gift it is to give someone a space to experience and make meaning and understanding on their own versus impose it on them and also to offer them the gift of capture of some of those tiny moments that you do with your photography so cool yeah it all comes together and I mean I don't care who you are like if you're the CEO of a company or you know just someone like me just like surviving off off random jobs on the street like there's not a single person on this planet who wouldn't benefit from more time in nature and I think that that's how just to sound dramatic for a second that's how you change the world it's like yeah. if you, I don't know, give an individual the space to find something within themselves that they can take into their life to inspire another person to find that. It's a ripple effect. And yes. that's how change is created. I mean, especially with everything that's happening in the world right now, it's so easy to get caught up in so many different things. And so to step away from the chaos, to find what is true, what is real, and that is taking care of your neighbor that is taking care of yourself. And if we just do those things, if everybody just does those two things, the entire world would change. Like that's a, <laughs> that's a fitness I want to pursue, you know, just, it, it really zooms out the perspective on what are we training for, uh, that you can't just do it in your head either. Right. There is a physical component of this. There is a doing that like an action 
part of it. Um, but I also wonder how you balance doing what you need to do to make a living as a human being in 2021 and also simply live and know that part of being and living and reconnecting with yourself, like nourishing yourself, taking care of you, how do you balance uh, wanting to get out in nature? Like, you know, and I would imagine knowing what I know about you that it's pretty intuitive. You're not like, and on this calendar date, I'm going here. And then <laughs> three and a half weeks later, it's like, like things call to you and you kind of go there. And you also have that like openness in your own life of like, I'm going to give myself space to experience and kind of figure out the next move from there. But what is it like, like step us into like Sarah's world of, okay, so I'm doing these jobs, you know, paying the bills, whatever. And also like nature is calling. What does that look like? So for me, it looks like living life extremely intuitively. And I think that makes a lot of people uncomfortable, even myself uncomfortable at times. There's so, there's been so many moments where like, I don't know what's going to happen next month. I don't know what my life is going to look like in a year. And so for people who have, who need that structure, my lifestyle does not work for that. But also I think it just comes from a greater understanding that everybody has different seasons in their life. And I know like probably very soon my life is going to be much more structured. I know, especially when it comes to like wanting to create a business, you know, it, it definitely requires you, it requires more of you in the type A kind of way, as opposed to the type B, which is what I've lived most of my life in. But I think that when when you're in that season of trying to figure out what it is like you want to do in your life or how you want to live moving forward, like you have to be open mm-hmm. and you have to say yes to opportunities that feel right. And maybe say no to things that on paper look good, but you know in your heart is not right. Yes. And um, how do you figure that out? You know, it's like, I think that should be a class in high school is intuition development because it's one of our greatest assets as a human, but it's the one that's most often overlooked. And, and, that, and that there are ways that it can be cultivated that aren't just um, theoretical, right? So like breath and exposure. Exactly. And the intersection of now, oh, we're bringing an awareness into your breath, the ice, the heat, nature. Yeah, it's just tuning you into your core. Yes. And that's what I love about the ice is because when you're in the ice, you are, you can't be anywhere else. You, you, there's nowhere to hide. Nowhere. And so you are truly with yourself. And the thing is, is that it asks of you to be in that environment. It's not easy stepping into the ice. You have to override the part of you that says no. Yes. Because you know something greater is waiting for you on the other side. But this is a key... um this is a key variable of what you're actually exposing people to. It's kind of like holding your breath uh, on land versus like holding your breath underwater when waves are coming and you just like can't get up for a breath. Yeah. And that's what I love about how you have reverse engineered through experience of a lot of these experiences out on like, not just like small hikes, but big, long hikes, adventures, multi-day, multi-week of hmm based on my experience now there's a way to go back and teach people skills uh, in a more controllable environment like the gym to help them you know develop the skills that they need to be successful and most self-reliant you know and capable out in nature and and then they get the opportunity to enjoy 
the upside of being in in those kind kinds of environments yeah i mean if i had one goal in life it's to inspire every person to at some point in their life when it makes sense for them to go on some kind of grand adventure i'm gonna end this podcast right now because i'm inspired to go on an adventure (laughs) (laughs) um okay sarah there's so many so many golden nuggets that you have just shared with all of us i know me personally i'm gonna probably listen back to this conversation like three times and take notes um but i want to ask you and this is one thing that i always ask everyone on the deuce racing podcast which is uh what drives you and you know you just spoke of intuition being primary driver in your life but if we were to kind of unpack it what's like underneath of that you wake up in the morning and what is that piece of you that that propels you to like keep progressing on this journey to you know keep exposing yourself to nature and continuing to build how you're able to invite others into nature like what can you put that into words so as you were talking the visual that i had in my mind which is going to sound weird is buried treasure Mm. and the reason why i'm thinking about that is because there's this like undercurrent there's this invisible force that exists amongst everyone that i feel like if you can tap into it then it it's like a treasure map to this invisible treasure Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that looks like for everyone, but that's kind of like this journey that I'm on, like of forging this invisible path that will somehow lead to that. But what is that treasure? And so for me, I think in some ways it is tied to climate change, because if every single person could truly understand the value of nature, then our habits would change. And mm some of these larger issues that we're facing as a society and humanity require us to come together as people, as what we are. And if I, if my contribution to that is to make people fall in love with nature, because when you fall in love with something, you protect it. I think that that is kind of like my underscore undercurrent to tap into this invisible force that will allow all of us to unite in a way that will impact a greater change. Okay, just this conversation with you right now, for anyone who listens to it, you have already inspired. Um, That was beautiful. I don't wanna add a damn thing (laughs) to it. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me on this. And uh, anything you wanna add? Just thank you. It's an honor to be here. And for you as an individual, just what you're doing for this community and the voices that you're allowing to speak and the presence that you give and allow other people to step into is wonderful. So keep doing you. You're going to make me cry. And uh, (laughs) thank you. It's an honor. Thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next time. Yep.